My name is Sam Kokeli. Lovely being here uh, with a lot of you and uh, interesting people who've joined us uh, ready for this uh, conversation. I see a colleague, UCPS Matkaiser. A few people I haven't seen UCPS in a while. You know, since these lockdowns, we never get to bump into uh, people like him and physically for great chats. And But I see a lot of uh, his work and uh, Times Media and the platforms in the Arena Group. And tonight uh, we have Matthew Park. Uh, Matthew Parks. Matthew is at uh, Kosatu, and we want to talk to him about a whole lot of things before even you get to vaccines and getting uh, people to be forced as to, uh, in simple terms, uh, to take vaccines. And can you hear? from him about uh, the shocking stats uh, about unemployment. I know we shouldn't get shocked at all when we see uh, these numbers. We know how bad th- things are. Um, Sparks, thank you for joining us and uh, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? And, yeah, good evening to you, Sibis, and uh, other colleagues. Thanks for having us. Well, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, man. So let's uh, chat about uh, the numbers uh, today. Is there a particular set of the stats that uh, caught your attention as a Kosatu? Um, I mean, there, there were painful stats uh, to lose six hundred thousand jobs um, in the last quarter. I mean, it could be worse. I think. I mean, look at unexpected given the violence in Kaizen in Gauteng, uh, but we should expect more bad news given the current. Um, break of the variant. Um, it's going to have a huge damping effect on the retail sector's uh, festive season peak period, the tourism industry. The tourism industry, the hospitality sectors, the hotels, the restaurants, etc., are going to bleed more in this uh, current festive season because our, our borders have been shut down by our key um, tourist markets of Europe, of North America, Asia, Africa, etc. Um, and also bear in mind. <clears throat> that uh, we lost 1.5 million jobs last year. So unemployment was already at a high of 44%. The expanded definition is now 46%. And it's going to get worse unless we get our act together, unless um, government stimulates the economy with the support of the private sector, unless we tackle corruption in the state, unless we fix ESCOM and fix Transnet, which is key to getting our goods to our markets, to their destinations, <clears throat> unless we fix Metrorail to ensure workers get to work on time. Um, and let's also address some of the other blockages like digital spectrum and so forth. It's going to get worse. Um, so I think, yeah, it's it's, a, it's depressing news. I think we must also bear in mind that government can only do so much. The private sector, the banks also have to give solidarity to the economy to avoid retrenchments to see how can they inject stimuli into the economy, especially from the banks and investment fund side. We simply can't afford to continue to, to limp along like this. But we should also ask, what is it that we can do as workers, as trade unions, as ordinary consumers to also give support to the economy? And the one simple thing we can do, you know, Sam, is that when you go and buy our goods, whether it's food or clothes, furniture or, v- or cars, we should make sure that we buy locally produced goods because that helps to save local jobs. It helps to create local jobs. We should also be thinking, what can we do where we work? to report on corruption, whether we work at ESCOM, work in the state, work in the private sector, we should all be blowing us on corruption because that'll save money for the fiscus. Um, but I think the last kind of critical thing we can say, and it feeds into your discussion point, 
tonight's um, is that um, we're in the second year of a pandemic. We are a year on the road with vaccine, vaccine rollout. Only 41% of adults are vaccinated. Mm. Um, vaccines have been proven to be effective at saving lives, but they're also critical towards saving jobs. If people can get vaccinated and workplaces can open safely, um, tourists can visit our country. That's key to, to growing the economy again. So that's something within our hands as ordinary uh, people. Um, but we all get vaccinated. That'll help to save the economy, help to get the economy moving. So that's something we can do as ordinary people without having to say, yes, what is government doing? What is the private sector doing? That's a simple contribution we can do to give solidarity to, to health workers, but also to the economy mm -hmm. at large. Yeah, okay, okay. There's a whole lot of things you've said there. And um, I'm tempted to not go back to a lot of them. It's like a whole manifesto of what has to, to be done. And I remember Kosatu. Kosatu in 2017 uh, was one of the arms in the ANC alliance, uh, Trapatat alliance, uh, that uh, nominated uh, Cyril, Cyril Ramaphosa as a savior uh, of the South African uh, economy. And here we are four years uh, down the line. There's a whole lot of things that could have been done and haven't been done. And the situation has been made worse by the COVID uh, pandemic. And now we're seeing unemployment and uh, getting out of hand and difficulty, really. I suspect it's a conversation uh, for another day. Let's check then, uh, Matthew Parks, about uh, Kosatu's views on uh, vaccination and vaccine uh, mandate. So if somebody had arrived in South Africa in the past uh, two days, uh, would they know where you stand uh, or where you've stood in the past couple of weeks uh, as Kosatu? And in simple terms, what is your position? What would you say? Well, the most simple message we can say is that we support vaccinations. Um, we support it from day one. Um, in fact, we complained in January when we felt government was moving too slowly on procuring the vaccines and, and rolling them out. So that's a fundamental message, that we, we support vaccinations of everybody uh, because we believe it's going to help save lives, it's been proven to do so. We believe also as a charity movement, it'll help to save jobs. And that also equally is a key mandate of COSATU. Um, everything else is modalities. The fundamental thing is we believe everybody must vaccinate, full stop. Um, we have tried on level best over the past years, COSATU as I think government, as colleagues in the business, the health infrastructure teams, etc., the media fraternity to mobilize and persuade, to engage, educate everybody on why it's key for everyone to vaccinate, why it's safe, why it's critical. And that has taken us you know, some distance down the road. Um, we managed to vaccinate 41% of adults. That's a good step forward. Some sectors have done far better. What we've seen as COSATU is that workers who are unionized tend to have much higher vaccination rates than unorganized workers. So we've seen, obviously, you know, the health workers are largely vaccinated. That's the norm of their jobs. They're always supposed to be vaccinated for many diseases to protect themselves and patients. But we've seen, you know, most teachers are vaccinated, most police officers and prison wardens, most mine workers, most clothing workers, most textile workers, etc. So that's been good progress. In some of those areas, you find a 65% vaccination rate. Um, there's one, mine, one mining company where 99% of workers are vaccinated. So that's really fantastic news. Um, we had a recent Central Committee as COSATU, which is a midterm Congress in September, where we said, as COSATU, our contribution is to mobilize workers to vaccinate. We've set ourselves a target to mobilize 80% of our members to go out and vaccinate. But I think we also have to assess how far are we, where we're doing well, we're not doing well. And we have set ourselves as a country a target of 
vaccinating 70% of mm -hmm. adults by the end of this year. And we're clearly, we're very far from it. We're not going to make it at this rate. We should be vaccinating quarter of a million people every single day. Last week, we were vaccinating about 110,000 a day. Um, that's increased in the past two days to about 176,000 a day. That's okay. still not good enough. Sure. So, so I think just the kind of last point, Sam, um, <clears throat> we were concerned about imposing vaccines on people before. We did respect people's rights to the constitutional, freedom of choice, freedom of belief, etc. You know, medicine is always a consensual relationship between you and the doctor. Um, but we also have to appreciate that in the constitution, there are many rights and they all have limitations, they all have responsibilities. But the one constitutional right, which is above all other rights, is the right to life. And vaccines are critical to ensuring other people's right to live, above my individual rights to preference. So <clears throat> that's our starting premise. It's going to be about saving lives. Um, we've had a history of vaccination mandates as a society for many decades. When our children are born, they are vaccinated for many diseases that were previously pandemics measles, mumps, polio, etc. When our kids go to school, government or the teachers will ask you by law for your vaccine clinic cards to prove your child is vaccinated. It's because they have a legal mandate to ensure other kids are safe. They have a responsibility. So I think for us, we've also had a mandates over the past 18 months that we must wear masks when we go out in public or we go to workplaces, to public places. We must be sanitized, uh, screened for temperatures, etc. So I think this for us is really about what do we do to enhance that? And we've got two choices in essence. We can allow, we can continue to dilly-dally on the vaccines, have low vaccine rates. Government will impose a lockdown, which we won't support as Kosovo. The economy is bleeding. We can't afford to lose more jobs. Or we can vaccinate and ensure everybody does vaccinate. And I think for us, that's we'll rather go that route than to go the route of unemployment and economic poverty and crisis. Okay, okay. Um, you're not going to get uh, opposition from me uh, on uh, your stats uh, on these things, but we're going to come back to to this topic. I'm happy to take uh, your questions and uh, your inputs uh, as we talk to um, Matthew Parks uh, from uh, Kosatu about uh, vaccine mandates, uh, unemployment. You simply need to put your hand up and ask uh, to be made a speaker and they will make sure that you get a microphone and it's handed uh, to you and uh, we continue to have uh, this uh, conversation. Matthew Parks, so what was the conversation like within the Federation uh, starting with Nehau, uh, I mean, you could have moved us quite a bit uh, earlier on uh, in this discussion since Nehau uh, is, is Nehau your biggest union and now Kosatu is uh, nowadays more a public sector federation than anything else. So with the numbers and the muscle you have, uh, you could have moved to this debate a long time ago. But anyway, uh, probably never too late. But let's get uh, maybe some texture from you about uh, the conversation within the federation, especially with uh, Nehau. I would imagine there was the resistance uh, initially from uh, government employees uh, about uh, the vaccine mandate. Look, I don't, I don't think it's just Nahau. I mean, yes, Nahau is our biggest union. It also is a union which organizes health workers. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to other unions we have, which organize health workers like Tenosa, Samatu, Saipu, etc. But look, I think the, the feeling was the same amongst all unions. I don't think any individual union had a different vantage point. I think they all reflect the viewpoints of South Africans. I think broadly all the member, our members support the vaccine and believe in it and embrace science and so forth. But I think there is also a significant amount of members, like in the rest of society, 
who have different views. Um, some who are concerned about possible side effects. Some just don't like needles. Um, others don't believe in modern medicine. They prefer alternative medicines, uh, for lack of better terms. So there's a variety of viewpoints. Um, but I do think that collectively as a society, we have also underestimated, not just in South Africa, but across the world, the amount of anti-vaxxers that there would be. Um, I think we've underestimated the amount of fake news that would be flying around in social media. I think we underestimated the amount of people who would actually believe some of that fake news, including people, not just here, like, for example, in the US, yet Trump uh, spouting craziness at some stage. I think that's been a difficult thing. I mean, we did appreciate the need for people to, to reflect. And we spent a large part of this year having these engagements with members, discussions with members. Um, all of our units have done a lot of work on it to be to be fair to them and to give them credit. And I think that's really why we've seen you know, significant vaccination rates amongst different sectors where the units are quite strong. But I think we've also seen very low vaccination rates amongst workers who are not unionized. For example, waitresses at restaurants, domestic workers, farm workers, um, workers in some of the retail sectors, et cetera, where these are low union levels. But it's a difficult thing. And look, democracy is noisy. And I would also say, even in Kosato, debates are always noisy on all issues. And that's, that's a healthy thing. Um, but look, we had these debates, but it must also move forward as a society. We know change is not easy. Change may be painful. People can be irritated by change and they'll complain about it. I think you look at all the histories of vaccinations throughout the world over the past century. <clears throat> There's always been complaints about it. I think when we passed legislation, people complained. You will remember when um, in Kosovo, Germany, Zuma was Minister of Health in 1994, and we passed the tobacco legislation controlling smoking. You can't smoke in planes and public buildings, in front of colleagues, etc. People cried, this will be the end of democracy. Um, but now we accept it, and we're better off for it. Um, in the US, it was interesting to read that they had uh, complained when government had said there that uh, you must wear a seatbelt when you drive. That to us would sound like a crazy debate to have now in this eight day and age, largely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we get down the road, we'll actually look back in this place and say, why was this the fuss in the first place? We've been doing vaccines for a long time, been proven to be effective, etc. But we appreciate in a democracy, we'll always have different views, and that's good. But we also have to accept that we must protect people's lives. We mustn't um, sacrifice the rights of a majority for a minority, and at times we have to move forward. And leadership also said requires one to take decisions. They'll be unpopular in the short time. You'll be insulted. People will call you all sorts of names. They'll call you an idiot and all that. And they'll go on Twitter and have a field day. <clears throat> but as a leader, you must take bold decisions and accept the punches because, you know, it's the right thing to do morally, legally, economically, constitutionally. And we are better off society when we make those decisions. What we can't afford is endless dithering and delay when people are dying. Uh, okay, okay, thank you, thank you, Matthew Parks. We're gonna catch uh, Sangma. Sangma is great South African out in Manchester, uh, in the in the UK. Doctor, very passionate about this great uh, country of ours. We're gonna give him the mic and for Sangma to make uh, inputs. Whilst we're doing that, uh, Matthew, tell us about the. Uh, Kosatu's views on President Ramaphosa's speech uh, on Sunday. I thought that there was some excitement from him uh, at the part where you are talking about the, the vaccine uh, mandate. It was pretty much uh, very dry right through, but there was some fire in him uh, when, he, when he tackled the issue. Was Kosatu happy uh, with the, the Sunday 
uh, announcement uh, from the president of uh, uh, talks about talks and the vaccine mandate. Typical Ramaphosa uh, style. I don't know why it takes him so long to just, he knows where he's going. Why can't he just move on it? So what does Kosa to feel now after Sunday? Uh, I think on your last comment, I mean, I think uh, the president is a lawyer, he's a constitutionalist, he's a trade unionist at heart. I think it's part of one of the good things about him. But I would also agree with you, uh, the times just move a little bit faster. But I think I do, we do appreciate that he's trying to rebuild a sense of uh, legality, processes of uh, engagement to kind of begin to restore good governance over the previous decade of state capture, but also move along a bit because you consult, make dis- but then make decisions and act. Uh, we need to get the right balance. Look, we were, we were pleased with the speech. We welcomed it. Uh, we thought it was a good speech. But I think we're pleased that he said, let's have this discussion, which we're having right now, tonight. As a society, what do we do to get our vaccine rates up? How do we save lives? How do we save jobs? How do all of us contribute in that regard? And I think first, it was a fantastic. Mm-hmm. We appreciate that he said he wants to engage with trade unions, with business, with society at large. Let's have the discussions that say what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. But what has to be guided by is increasing vaccine numbers, saving lives, saving jobs. Um, but again, <clears throat> we wouldn't want a situation where we have this discussion um, forever. Have a discussion for a few weeks, but then the government must make a decision, the president must make a decision, they must announce and they must implement. Um, because lives are at stake, jobs are at stake, the economy is at stake, we can't afford to, to play when we are facing such huge challenges. Okay, so the network process announced uh, by the president, uh, tell us about that and how does it all work? Could you break it down for us? Sure. Look, we've been having um, almost daily discussion mm-hmm. in the since the mm-hmm. pandemic started on many fronts, from unemployment insurance to people getting infected with COVID at workplaces, etc. We looked at a variety of ministerial directions to address it. We have been having discussions actually for the past few months. Um, business has actually been raising for quite some time since March already. We need for a vaccine mandate. <clears throat> We were concerned, we wanted to give space to workers, to society, to digest this whole approach, to see how it works, etc. But we've also evolved in our thinking because you see what's working and what's not working. And you can't remain static when things are changing on the ground. You have to adjust, see how can you improve, etc. We have been having discussions, for example, say the, the sports and events industries are bleeding, they're collapsing. If you're not able to, to operate, they will die. Uh, people who work in, in soccer, rugby, cricket fraternities will lose their jobs, the whole value chain. We were saying, why don't we allow those sectors to reopen gradually for people who are vaccinated as a way of incentivizing people to, to, to vaccinate because the South Africans love the big three sports, uh, but also to help save these sectors because there is no unemployment insurance uh, relief for these sectors largely. Um, but we have been having discussions over this past week about What's our approach to workplaces? Mm-hmm. What's our approach to public spaces, um, to shops? What's our approach to cruise ships, uh, to domestic flights, to international border crossings? But I think it has become, we've been guided by kind of the two fundamental things, saving lives, saving jobs. That's what Sacra said. Everything else is modalities. We've been looking at the model where we already have an existing mandate regime in place. Masks, screening, sanitizing, those are already in place in all public places. So there's not really a need to reinvent a system. We let's say, let's simply add additional weapon in the fight against COVID-19 
to that existing regime. That's the essence of the discussion. But look, I mean, there are two choices at NEDEC available to us, which we've been engaging. One is we continue as is. People can choose whether or not they want to vaccinate or don't want to vaccinate. And we, but we must accept the consequences that the hospitals will fill up, people will die, nurses will be forced to choose who lives and who dies in parking lots, and government will be forced to impose their lockdown. That's going to cost more jobs, that's going to cost us to pay more taxes, which is going to hurt public servants and other workers, it's going to hurt the economy. We must accept there will be more variants in the future, and the rest of the world is going to look at us as an international health risk and continue to block our borders every three months, and we can kiss goodbye to the tourism and hospitality sectors, which employ more than a million workers. So that, that's one option. Um, as Kosato, we're not going to support any more lockdowns in the economy, not when our job is to save members jobs. Okay. Uh, let me interrupt you there, uh, Parks, we're going to come back to you. We've got uh, Dr. Sangla on the line. Uh, he's uh, got to make an input, could be a question. Sangla, good evening. How are you doing? Good evening, Sam. Good evening to the listeners. I'm doing fine, and how are you? Yeah, good, good, good. And Clega, it's lovely uh, chatting to you. But Matthew Parks, maybe you want to make uh, input. You can hear you. It's all yours. You're being unfair, Sam, because I'm saying I agree with everything that Matthew said. And I've said, I've echoed the same sentiments, so it'll just be repetition. What he said is what needs to happen. Because Sitting at 35% as a country, everything he's mentioned, the ramifications, the choice is yours. But you must be able to face the consequences. The consequences will be you will lose your job. You will get the infection, be hospitalized, have severe disease, and God forbid the next step that comes after that. So it's something that we as citizens need to do. The other thing that Matthew has touched on, which people are not saying loud enough, this thing of saying vaccine mandates, we don't want them. This is said by people who have been vaccinated, who vaccinate their children, who take the vaccination cards to school, as Matthew has said, as I'm saying, repeat of that, on top of that, when you want to go to a country that has got a yellow fever and, and endemic, you go to the travel clinic, you get the necessary shots, you go to the office, the, the, the embassy, and you get your visa without a second thought. Now, we are talking about a COVID vaccine as if it is something new, whereas we are doing all these things. Now, Matthews also raised another interesting thing. The world will leave South Africa as a country behind. As you've seen in the last five days, you might disagree with what they've done, but they've done one thing, they've acted. Now, you've said something about our president. Our president took five, six days. He called that meeting. We know where he's going. He just does it his own way, his own sort of meando, like the previous guy of a task team. <laughs> he calls it a task team. The task team will come back and say, get vaccinated. Uh, Discovery, a day or two ago, has shown us they've got a system and it works. They've got 90 plus. Boris Johnson in April, I did tweet this a few days ago, will say fully vaccinated is three doses. South Africa still hasn't started the booster. 
I'm not making a mistake because I know what's happening today, but I'm repeating this. South Africa still has not started boosting. This is where the world is now. As a country, we've been left behind. The world is boosting at the moment, and it's boosting 18 plus, the UK. So in April, Boris Johnson is going to change fully vaccinated status to include boosters. The tourism industry in South Africa is going to start then to complain that we're going to lose money. And yet, at the moment, the country is at 35%. So you can't complain and do nothing, expecting that things will change. That's not going to happen. If you don't get vaccinated to protect yourself, to protect your family, to protect your neighbors, to protect the citizens, to get the country's economy going, you are the one that is going to make the situation worse. And Tedros, I think Dr. Tedros has said it, we can vaccinate as a country, but we can't leave the rest of the world alone. But Dr. Nicholas Crisp has said we have got adequate doses, which means people are not going. Now, people will say vaccine equity. We've seen now there's something vax that is being done there in Quebec. So there will be doses. But at the moment, we can't run away from the fact that we're still at 33 and a third in terms of education. So you can't get into university, South Africa. You've got to do something else. If you want to get into university, which is a normal pass mark, you need to go above the 33 and a third that you're sitting in. Um, I wish I'd been talking to the doctor since Monday uh, because we've been bombarded by people uh, telling us there's a conspiracy to steal our DNA, that our arms and eyes will fall off. So I think what the doctor's saying is just nice to hear a sober voice. Um, but I think more especially you know, because people like Sam, like you and me, we're not scientists, we're not medical professionals, we're lay people on the street. So I think it's nice to hear uh, from a doctor who can confirm our feelings that this is correct, that this is the right thing to do. Um, and I think he, he said, it, I think the one good point he raised is that um, we hinted around, <clears throat> was a look at the European experience. Uh, when France required a vaccine mandate because the vaccine rates were not high enough, they required it and people all threw the toilet out of the court. People burned restaurants down for some bizarre reason. Mm -hmm. I don't know, why would you punish a restaurant for government policy? But what we saw afterwards is how the vaccine rates jumped up in France to 90%. I think what we've seen in Europe is that infections are high for other reasons, but the people who are getting infected are people who are not vaccinated. So I think that's for us is fundamental. That's a critical lesson to learn. But I think also it's about, you know, I think Sam, for us as a treaty, we, we believe in the uh, spirit of solidarity. So I think for us, we have members who are nurses, who are doctors, who are paramedics. And the, the death rates of them have been very high. The infection rates have been very high. And of course, you know, nurses and doctors are exposed to COVID at high dose levels on a daily basis, as opposed to you and I who can avoid it uh, working uh, virtually, etc. So I think for us, it's about easing the pressures upon them, because again, they're going to be having the ICUs being stormed to the hospitals. They'll begin to be forced to play God in parking lots to decide who can, can they save and who can they not save. 
So I think for us, it's about giving solidarity to these health workers who have really sacrificed so much to protect the nation over the past 18 months. And the least we can do is to get a simple little injection on the arm, twice. I'm not sure why people can't do that simple little gesture of solidarity when these health workers work 48-hour shifts and are, are emotionally, physically, psychologically exhausted. Um, but I think also, I mean, your, your question is about what can be done. And I think you need a combination of interventions. We've had the persuasion and the engagement approach so far, and that's yielded us 41% of adults vaccinated. <clears throat> we need to now reinforce it. Um, we have been starting to do some incentives and some rewards. You will find, for example, game offers that people a 10% discount if they're vaccinated from, or on a Wednesday or something like that. Um, some other companies have been offering some vouchers. I think so. there's been 100 rand vouchers for senior citizens to get vaccinated. That's great. Let's ramp that up, you know. Um, <clears throat> it's a bit sad we must incentivize people to do what's in their best interest, but so be it. Better that than, than people dying. But I think also we need another combination about requiring people to vaccinate as well. Um, and I think the three approaches of persuasion and engagement, incentivizing and rewarding, and also requiring will complement each other. Each person has their own little motivation. We've seen a flurry of workers calling us in the past few days, um, saying they're now going to get vaccinated because it's going to be required and they want to get it done now. We saw Discovery, which three months ago said they're going to require vaccination for the staff. Today, they have a 94% vaccination rate, and it's going to go higher. Um, so I think that's why this is the positive news, because you're saving lives, you're saving jobs. Um, so I think for us, those are kind of the key things we need to do. Yeah. Maybe the other thing to bear in mind is that this is going to be a, a, with us for a while. We might end up having to vaccinate once a year or every eight months for the next few years. So this is part of adjusting to a new normal. And the sooner we can do it, the better we can get back to, to life for all of us. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, Matthew, please hold on. Let's catch uh, Zamani, followed uh, by uh, Lismo, and then we're going to get uh, Sangma Sassi Sangma is back. We'll get him uh, a mic so he can speak. Uh, let's see who we get first between uh, Lismo and uh, Zamani uh, to make uh, inputs. And I saw Makala, my colleague Makala was here just now, uh, ready to make his uh, own inputs. Lismo, can you hear us? Can you come through? And uh, Zamani. Okay, uh, Matthew, tell me, man. I still struggle with this. It's, 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 uh, I, I see it. Uh, uh, that's how the president works. You say he's a lawyer. We're uh, <laughs> cutting him slack, really. You say he's gonna take his time because uh, he, he's a lawyer. So, what sort of timelines are we working uh, with here? I mean, the, he's the president we have. Uh, he takes his time and he lets other people decide and he consults and he talks and he talks about talks. But what is the timeline? What's it, what do you think? Well, I don't think we have much luxury of time. Um, the vaccine, sorry, the infection rates are doubling every day. I think it was 4,000 something yesterday. I think the day before it was about 2,000. Last week it was about 1,000, which is the daily infection rates. And you've already seen many of the universities have already announced 1st of January, we're moving. Many of the big companies, the banks, have already said, 1st of January, we expect you to be vaccinated. Even with the first uh, dose, that's fine because of the, the time frames. But get the first dose, let's get moving, and let's work together. 
Sure, Matthew, I'm going to hit you with uh, some really depressing stats here. Uh, news uh, breaking in from Heidi Giocos, uh, the reporter at DNCA. 8,561 new COVID-19 cases reported in the last 24 hours alone. And that's uh, not a pretty, pretty number. And you, you look at that and you look at the total deaths already we've had. And it's 89,000. 89,000 deaths filling the the new FNB soccer city and you make sure that there isn't a gap left and that's the number of people we have lost uh, and uh, the people who are probably correctly diagnosed and uh, recorded probably the number could be maybe higher I don't know but uh, tonight the number we're getting new cases 8,561 your take on that well that alone is the answer to what we must do the infection cases yesterday was about 4,200. It's doubled today. <clears throat> the day before, it was about 2,000 and something. And just before that, it was about 1,000 something. So this is a, it's a, it's a, it's a real wake-up call. We've had enough time to play games, to philosophize, to pontificate, to indulge in bizarre conspiracy theories, to, to spend our time on social media. These are real lives. These are real jobs. And there will be families who are going to pay the consequence for our dithering. They're going to pay the consequence for us being irresponsible, for being negligent, pandering to a fringe minority at the expense of a majority. And Sam, I think you had a point that, you know, younger people like yourself and myself are maybe less at risk, still at risk, but a little bit less. But people who are elderly will pay a very heavy price. And that's, that's really un- unforgivable. We shouldn't be exposing grandparents in the 70s and 80s, grandfathers. We shouldn't be exposing people with T- TB or HIV or diabetes or whatever the chronic conditions might be to this kind of risk because we want to pander to a reckless and selfish minority. We want to philosophize at the expense of a majority. It really is like an opponent of the nation to be honest. Yeah. Okay, thanks. So let's take uh, Lismo. Lismo, you, hopefully we can get you through uh, this time around. Lismo, you there? Okay, let's carry on. Then what about civil society and churches and House of Traditional Leaders? I would imagine they are at a network. There's some contact uh, of some sort. And what sort of conversations are taking place this time around? I know last year there was a struggle persuading a few church organizations and they couldn't host uh, their pilgrimage and uh, things like that. What, what are you picking up this time around? <laughs> Um, I think we must actually really appreciate the role of our churches. Um, the mainstream, the historical churches, if I can use that for lack of a better term, they've really played, played a progressive role. I think we have seen the leadership of the Zionist Christian Church, the bishops, the Lechanyanin and his team. And very early on, they vaccinated, they took photos, they told the members, please vaccinate. We've seen similar responses from the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church. Those are fantastic. We've seen, uh, we've had engagement with them. We've had engagement with the Muslim Judicial Council, the Jewish Board of Deputies, progressive responses. I think they are doing their best to engage the congregants. I think they could do a bit more, to be honest, like all of us can do a bit more. Um, we've met to the Contralesa, the Congress of Traditional Leaders of South Africa, and they're also fully on board. And I know many of the traditional leaders have been working in the communities to, to persuade people. Again, we think they can do more. Um, I think there is also, sadly, an element, a fringe element within the religious sector um, who are just engaging in nonsense, who are engaging 
at playing games at the expense of the lives of their own members and society. Uh, I think some of these fringe churches have said, have endorsed all the conspiracy nonsense. And I think there's been a fantastic pushback by some of our church leaders who have said, this is nonsense. There is no verse in the Bible which says you must not vaccinate. In fact, the Bible and all the other religious texts, the Quran, the Torah, very emphatically speak to the need to show compassion mm-hmm. for the vulnerable, to show solidarity for the weak, to not put your interests above the interests of society. And I think that's a that's the message we should be sending out. Um, it is a sad day when someone thinks they're a religious leader and they engage in conspiracy theories. And um, that's a reflection upon them. We would hope that congregants wouldn't fall for such nonsense. Um, but again, that's why we also have to go the compulsory route as well, because we also need to hold people to account. Um, if you live in a society, you accept the rules, you accept the interests of the collective, and you don't oppose your interests above everybody else. That's the nature of having society. That's why we have laws about driving, not drinking and driving. That's why we have laws about what you can and cannot do in society. And this is no different than that one. Yeah, okay. Look, I find, Matthew, you, I agree with you. and uh, But still, the issue is uh, persuading the people who disagree with us. I don't know how you can do it uh, without them feeling uh, that uh, we are dismissing them because they hold a, a view. I mean, a lot of them, are they come from genuine conviction. It might be wrong, it might be irrational, it might be bad for society. What do we do in the intervening period? I know you're a uh, leader of the Trapatet Alliance, you're going to be kind to him, uh, he's going to do the things that uh, Sangla calls the, the meandos, the meandering around a process and a procedure. And what do we do in the uh, in- intervening period? And also I see you as Kosatu, more like uh, the, it's, uh, it's the tail wagging the dog. Uh, it seems your tail is up uh, in, in, in judging your tone. In the, in, in, in the past uh, two, two weeks, uh, it seems you have arisen from the dead quite a bit. <laughs> What's going on? Um, well, the look at tail doesn't, uh, has an interest in making sure the dog doesn't uh, jump into a fire. So, um, <laughs> look, I mean, I think first the key thing is even this next few weeks and, and going beyond that, that's a kind of three-pronged approach of engaging and educating, persuading people. We must continue to do that, um, to see how can we reward and incentivize people. Let's continue to do that, expand that, look at additional measures. Um, but also there has to be some sort of requirement. Um, and then look, I know when change happens, people get irritated. They don't like it. Every time we pass a new law of parliament, people throw the toys at the cotton and insult it. They call us idiots. They say it's nonsense. It won't work. It happens and move on. And we get better for it. You don't find instantaneous compliance. It really happens. But gradually, culture shifts. People adjust to it and move on. I'm going to take a completely different example. When we passed the Minimum Wage Act in 2019, People insulted us. They called Kosatra a bunch of idiots and sellouts and we're the biggest idiots I've ever seen. They said oh, it'll collapse the economy, it'll destroy everything. And there were some teething problems, but companies have abided by it and dodged. Less and less companies ignore it. More and more companies comply with it. And we moved on to other issues. But I think that's the change. Every time we do a new change, a new law, people complain, a fringe minority. <clears throat> we move on and we we're better off for it. And it'll be the same on this front as well. 
okay, okay. Let's see. Uh, let's more we'll try. Uh, it's more one more time. The last time uh, to see if we can catch you as we look to wrap up this conversation uh, with uh, Matthew Parks from uh, Kosatu. Are you there? Anybody else who's keen to make input can uh, ask a request to be made a speaker. We'll make sure that uh, that happens. And Matlala, I see Matlala is, is, is back there or seems to have lost a little more. Uh, maybe Matlala wanted to make a input. Um, Matlala, you there? Okay, let's hand Matlala the mic and uh, get Matlala to make uh, his uh, input. So as we winding down here, in this conversation, uh, Matthew Parks uh, with uh, Kosatu. What's going to happen within uh, Kosatu itself about uh, these vaccine mandates, but a whole lot of things about uh, unemployment, uh, or poverty, and uh, requiring quick and urgent uh, action uh, from the government? I heard earlier you said uh, the private sector needs uh, to come to the party. It's easier to talk government with you because you are in government as much as uh, you are Labour. So give us a sense of where you are and uh, what you see happening in the next uh, couple of months about uh, our grim situation about unemployment and poverty. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, again, I think it kind of goes back to your point earlier about there's a need for government to move with much greater speed on, on critical issues. We simply can't afford the endless uh, dithering. Uh, we know what are the fundamental challenges facing the economy. So we need to fix ESCOM, we need to assist ESCOM to get new generation on, on, on the grid much faster. So there's going to be no economic recovery if we have load shedding all the time. We need to fix transit and make sure it runs on both on the rails and in the ports so that our goods, be for South African markets or be for markets overseas, from mining to manufacturing to cars, etc., um, to agriculture, get to the markets at time. We saw with the violence in KZN how we nearly lost many contracts for car exports to Europe. Um, but also we have to fix Metro Rail. Metro Rail in Cape Town, for example, has been devastated by vandalism and criminal activity since the pandemic. It needs to be rebuilt and the government needs to deploy to secure it. The Defence Force, in the meantime, whilst it builds up a new policing uh, railway unit. So those are some of the quick things we need to do. But also, government has to be much more harsh on corruption. You can't afford to bleed billions of rands every year when that could have easily gone to stimulating the economy, to give you relief to the poor, etc. <clears throat> let me let me interrupt you there, Matt. I won't be as lenient on you on these things. And once again, you're giving us uh, the manifesto uh, position of these broad things that must be done. We don't disagree with you. Uh, fixing ESCOM, fixing Transnet, everybody, it's, it's our anthem, and uh, we've had a lot of them. Even the people who are supposed to be fixing ESCOM, they're saying ESCOM must be fixed. But I'm keen to hear, uh, I'm keen to hear about practical things. Sure, I mean, look, again, let me give you one simple practical thing, which you can see is happening to to give the sense of, what, of um, the benefits of moving and showing leadership. So we appointed a new commission of SARS, that's the Revenue Service. And you remember before, under the previous commission of SARS, <clears throat> how we were losing tax revenues every year to the value at one stage of about 139 billion rand. Um, devastating, that's, you know, almost 10% of the total budget. You appoint a new commission of SARS, a person of integrity, committed to fighting corruption. We've seen SARS being rebuilt. Um, an additional 500 personnel were appointed this year tax collections are starting to improve. 
in spite of the recession and job losses. We've seen from SARS a commitment to, to undertake lifestyle audits of the wealthy. Again, that's critical because we know wealthy people have a high paid accountants who can find loopholes to dodge paying taxes. We've seen also you know, that there are many more wealthy people in the country, according to stats and say, than according to SARS's database. Um, but there's more work to be done in SARS, for example. Um, only about 5% of our goods coming through our ports of entry are inspected for customs duties. That robs the fiscus of billions of rands, which is owed. It undermines the billions of rands that government spends boosting the industrial industrial sectors. It also threatens local jobs. So there's more work that needs to be done on that front. So I think those are the kind of practical things we want to see. But it also shows you if you have firm, decisive leadership in the institution, things can get moving. So we need to see firm, decisive leadership in the SOEs, in the municipalities. But also ministers must, must pull up their socks. You cannot discuss issues forever and a day. Have a discussion on a policy for a month, then move and implement it. So you remember in June this year, the president called a uh, family meeting in the afternoon. It was unusual. And they announced the 100 megawatt um, embedded generation doesn't need to have a license. Yes, yes. But then you give the money in second, there's some blockages to it. So whatever the story is, government and the industry needs to fix it and fix it fast because we can't afford to have ideas and, and, and delay, delay the implementation of things. So I think for us, what really is critical is leadership in the implementation. It sounds very kind of cheesy, but it's as simple as that. Um, we've seen a source, you have good leadership, you move. I think also another example, Sam, I mean, because to move from just from the philosophizing, we have seen some good work being done at Escobar on corruption. Um, they managed to, I think, recover about three and a half billion rand, almost four billion rand, that are stolen from some big companies in the US, uh, etc. Um, it's still a drop in the ocean, but that alone reduced Escom's debt by about 1%. We've seen they started to go through supply chain and contracts and started tackling issues, and they exposed huge issues. I think it's only the tip of the iceberg, but it's a good step. Um, but it shows you also that when you have 5,000 officials at Escom implicated in corruption, um, there's a serious problem, and we need to see more, much more action. But equally, Sam, it's quite worrying that ESCOM is forced to go to the civil claims route, which they must do. Where is the National Prosecuting Authority? Where is the police? Um, they have been found really wanting in dealing with that. There was good reports by the SMU about how much you managed to save um, billions for the state, but the prosecution numbers was in the double digits only. So I think that for us is worrying. Um, we really need to see much more action, much more action, uh, much faster. Thank you, Parks. Thank you so much for a great uh, guest and taking us through so Kosatu uh, and the ANC Alliance, government thinking around vaccine mandates and uh, other issues in our society. Thanks uh, to your listeners for joining us in Politics Wednesday. Sam Kokel is my name. We'll catch you again same time next week, same place.